Dear listener, we hope that you've been enjoying the variety of podcasts that we have on our network. Now is your opportunity to help us by telling us a little more about you. Please visit jcastnetwork.org survey and complete our listener survey so that we can learn more about you and your listening habits. Again, please visit jcastnetwork.org survey. Thanks so much. You are listening to The Stender with Rabbi Michael Knopf, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Rabbi Knopf, please visit mikeknopf.com. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. In his extraordinary and influential book, Thinking Fast and Slow, the uh, psychologist and behavioral economist Daniel Kahneman talks about how human beings tend to draw unfair or unjustifiable causalities between events. We have an innate need for coherence in our world. So we often try to determine uh, that uh, one piece of data that we see or observe or learn about is the result of something else. It has to, after all, be the result of something and that's something that's innate in us. We have a need for that kind of coherence. So it's not surprising that when the rabbinic tradition looked at our Torah portion this week, which talks about sarat, which is a kind of skin affliction that's usually translated as leprosy, although it's probably not leprosy, at least as we know it today. When the rabbinic tradition looks at this sarat, they ask themselves, well, how is it in the first place that a person might come to have tzorat? And they presume because it seems like it's a, uh, not a physical ailment so much as a spiritual ailment insofar as it is treated by the priest and not by, say, a medical doctor, of which there didn't really exist back then, but we'll put that aside for a second. Because it's treated by the priest, they presume that it is a, a spiritual affliction as much as it's a physical one, and so that it must have a spiritual cause. And so the rabbinic tradition after analysis, determines that sarat is the result of lashon hara, of gossip, or speaking negatively about others, telling stories. And they take that through a clever midrash, a clever interpretation of uh, the name of a person who has sarat, a mitzora. They say mitzora is a shorthand for motzi shem ra which means bringing forth a negative name about somebody else or a negative reputation about somebody else. Of course, the truth is that that rabbinic analysis of Tzarat is actually not borne out by the text itself. It's something of a stretch. Looking at the biblical text itself, looking at the pshat, the basic contextual meaning of the passage, there's no reason given for the affliction of Tzarat, and it seems just as reasonable to presume that the person has Tzarat the same way most of us contract illnesses in our life, which is to say, by chance, by happenstance. We happen to be around somebody who has an illness, and we catch the illness. We happen to have a genetic predisposition for a kind of illness, so we happen to get sick. 
we fall down, we get injured. There's not necessarily a moral reason why we get sick or why we get injured despite the rabbinic tradition's desire to make a moral reason for why we got sarat. In the biblical text, it seems that this is just a random occurrence that might happen to a person. might also happen, by the way, to their clothes and to their house. Right? But this might happen to a person. You might get sarat. If you look at the beginning of, uh, of, of the portion, it just says, a person who happens to have sarat, a person who happens to have this ailment. In other words, the Torah, if it wanted to say that a person got this ailment because of some kind of moral malady, presumably it would have said so. Has no problem saying those kind of causalities about other things. Doesn't say it about sarat. So it seems to me that at least the shots of the text, I have no problem saying that there are ills and evils of Lashon Hara and of gossip, and that may be a sermon for another time. I'm not convinced that that's the cause of leprosy. And if you look at the text, it doesn't seem to be borne out in the text that this has a moral cause. It just seems like it is something that happens. In other words, the, the Mitzorah, is, by all accounts, an innocent victim of circumstance. Bad things happen to him or her that he cannot control, nor can he or she fix on his or her own. And if you look at what happens to the Mitzorah in our Torah portion, how they are exiled from the community until healing takes place. And when healing takes place, the priest purifies them and is involved in a process of ushering them and escorting them back into the community, reintegrating them into the community, reestablishing them in the community. What you begin to see is a picture of somebody who is a victim of circumstance that he, can, he or she cannot control. Circumstances that he or she cannot fix on his or her own. And relies on the role of the priest, of a valued member of society, to step out to the margins of society, to step outside the community and work with the person who has been excluded, work with the person who has been cast out by circumstances that they could not control and cannot fix, to work with that person to bring them back into the community. Now our tradition says that we no longer have tzarat, which is why the disease that we call leprosy today is probably not what Sarad was back then. So it leads us to ask, is this portion still relevant for our time? If we no longer have the disease that it's talking about, why bother reading it? And the answer, of course, and actually why I think that this portion and the whole book of Leviticus, despite its apparent lack of relevance, is actually deeply relevant for us and for our time, and why it's perhaps my favorite book of the Bible, is because if you look at it allegorically, if you look at actually what it's communicating, there is profound relevance in this tale and in this narrative and in these laws for our time. Think for a moment about who in our time would be the person 
who is cast out of his or her home because of circumstances that they cannot control, that they did not create, and cannot fix, and who require the, the, the tools and the resources and the expertise of people who have those resources, who are more established, who have connections, whether spiritual connections or moral connections or physical connections, who have connections that can enable them to be reintegrated back into the community, who can usher them, escort them back into society. Who are those people in our world? I think that a good case can be made that refugees are today's Mitzoraim. That today's people that have the same characteristics that the Mitzorah has in our portion. Not that they're sick, obviously, but that they have these same set of criteria. They're victims who are cast out of their homes, didn't cause that problem, and cannot fix it on their own, and require the goodwill and effort of other more established people in society to help them to bring them back in. That, to me, is the very definition of a refugee. And we live in a time in which we have an unprecedented refugee crisis. Millions upon millions of people in our world fit into that category. 65 million people in our world fit into that category. Primarily from places that you might imagine and some from places that you might not. So the question then is, if refugees in our time are the Mitzoraim, who are the Kohanim? Who are the priests? Who in our Torah portions are the Torah portion are the ones who are responsible for exit, going to the margins of the community and working to bring those people back in? And I think that the answer to that is actually very clear in our Torah. Book of Exodus, when the Jewish people receive the Torah, God says to Moses to tell the Jewish people, Atem tiyun li mamlechet kohanim. You shall be unto me a kingdom of priests. Not only shall you have priests within your own community who function in this priestly role, who help facilitate relationships between the Jewish people and God and who help integrate people who have been exiled in the community back into the community, but the Jewish people as a whole fulfills that function for the rest of humanity. That we are a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. We fulfill this function of priests. We are the people who facilitate, who are charged at least with facilitating relationship between the rest of humanity and the God of all humanity. And we are the people who are charged with the responsibility of finding the people who are outside the community. Finding the people who have been cast out. Going out to the margins and doing everything we can to work to bring them back in. That's why our congregation has become so involved in this refugee crisis. That's why our congregation held its refugee Seder over Passover. 
to help facilitate that re-entry and re-establishment of refugees into society, of fulfilling that role that we've been charged with of being a kingdom of priests. That's why we did that Seder, and that's why we have been involved in the work of actual resettlement. And this week, I experienced something profoundly holy, a true demonstration of that priestly responsibility and that priestly action. When we welcomed a family of Iraqi refugees to their new home in Richmond, I was, what's that? What should I call them? People. People. I had the opportunity of going to the airport on Wednesday morning. Lila was with me and welcoming a family of six who had been expelled from their home or left, fled their home in Iraq and Baghdad, lived for two years in a refugee community in Turkey with the dream of coming to America. And I joined with a group of our congregants and other community members to greet them at the airport and to bring them to their new home, which members of our community found for them, set up for them. And I saw the joy in their faces and the tears in their eyes as we brought them to their new home and got them set up. It was incredible and holy. And you really get the sense of what our Torah portion is talking about, why this is a sacred responsibility that the priests have. It's not an icky medical thing that the priests are charged with doing to take in the Mitzorah. But it's a sacred responsibility of bringing, these, of bringing people back into the graces of the community. And it was sacred on Wednesday too, seeing this work play out in real time. But of course, the job of the priest is not done just by bringing the person back into the community. There's a process of reintegration that has to happen, a process of connection that has to happen. And so our family that's here is here, and it's an incredible thing, but they still have much that they need. They still don't quite speak the language of their new home. They don't yet have the currency of their new home, the currency of, of course, America is being able to, you know, drive a car and get around from place to place and watch TV and have the internet, have a job, go to school and have life. These are still things that we are in the process of working to establish for this family that we help to bring in which means that our work of resettlement for them is not yet done. We brought them here, but they are not yet fully part of the community. And so we yet have obligations to the Safar family to help integrate them into the community because that is what a kingdom of priests does. But not only for them. We have a similar responsibility to anybody that we can help and ultimately, ideally, to everyone who is in need. To open our hearts, to give of our time and our resources and our energy, 
and to open our doors as widely as possible so that we can bring people in and so that we can welcome people back in and establish them back into the heart of the community. That's what it means to be a mamlechet kohanim, to be a kingdom of priests. Perhaps my favorite story in the Talmud centers around Rabbi Joshua ben Levi. Rabbi Joshua ben Levi uh, is a, a character in a lot of mystical themed stories in the Talmud. And there's this one story where he happens to encounter Elijah the prophet. And he says to Elijah, when is the Messiah coming? And Elijah says to him, well, why don't you go ask him yourself? And Joshua ben Levi says, well, if I knew how to ask him myself, I would have done it already. And Elijah says, okay, good point. So here's how you'll find him. You need to go to Rome. Okay, you're in Palestine now. You need to go to Rome. And the Messiah is sitting outside the gates of the city. And he looks like a leper. And he's sitting with the other lepers. And the only way you'll know that it's him is that all the other lepers are taking off their bandages one at a time and rewrapping them one at a time. But the Messiah is taking them all off at once and putting them all back on at once just in case he's happened to be called upon to say now is the time for the coming of the Messiah. He can get up and go quickly. But other than that one detail that I would have had to tell you, Elijah says, you would not know who the Messiah is. And so Joshua ben Levi goes to the gates of Rome and he finds the Messiah and he says to him, when is the master coming? And the Messiah says, today. And so Joshua ben Levi gets back on his boat, goes back to Palestine, finds Elijah again. And Elijah says, so did you find him? Did you find the Messiah? And Joshua ben Levi says, yes, I found him. He was where you told me he would be. He was doing what you told me he'd be doing. And Elijah says, okay, good. So what did he tell you? And Joshua ben Levi says, well, he lied to me. He said that he was coming today. And it's today and he hasn't come. And Elijah says to him, you misunderstood what he said to you. What he meant was today, if you listen to God's voice. The Messiah will come today if you listen to God's voice. So what do we learn from that story? We learn a few things from that story. The first is that the Messiah is sitting amongst the group of people that we normally would be passing by in society. The people at the margins. The people who have been cast out by circumstances that they could not control and cannot fix on their own. That's where the Messiah is. And we only recognize the potential of the Messiah being there if we actually go to those people and treat them like human beings and work to bring them back into the community. And the second thing we learn from the story is that the Messiah will come today if we listen to God's call. God's call to us is to be a mamlechet kohanim and a goy kadosh a holy people, and a kingdom of priests. And if we take seriously, if we fulfill that responsibility of being priests to all the people in the world who need to be brought back into the community, then the Messiah will come 
today. Redemption will come today. May it be so speedily in our time. Shabbat Shalom.